Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Monday, February 17th, and this is your FT News Briefing. SoftBank's investment chief is pushing for a hedge fund vehicle, deviating from Masayoshi Sun's vision. Plus, there's a new way for investors to bet more cheaply against Chinese stocks. And Samsung has figured out a workaround to deal with supply chain disruptions caused by the coronavirus. I'm Amy Keene, and here's the news you need to start your day. The head of SoftBank's $100 billion vision fund has lined up billions of dollars of outside investment for a new hedge fund-style investment vehicle. Rajiv Misra, who oversees the vision fund, has been pushing to build a fund to pursue complex bets on publicly traded companies. That's according to multiple people with direct knowledge of the matter. Sources told the FT that Mr. Misra's plans have support from Abu Dhabi State Fund and the government of Kazakhstan. But this move would mark a sharp deviation from SoftBank founder Masayoshi-san's vision. He created the telecom group's investment arm to take stakes in private, tech-focused startups and then profit from scaling them up. But that strategy's been called into question following the Vision Fund's bets in companies such as WeWork and the dog-walking app WAG. Now, a new way to bet against China. China's equity market is one of the biggest in the world. The main CSI 300 index boasts an overall market cap of $4.5 trillion. But shorting or taking negative bets on these stocks can be tricky. It's expensive, and it involves dealing with onerous regulation. Asset managers have long lobbied for Beijing to make it easier to short domestic stocks. And now a London-based research group called Quant Insight has built a basket of about 40 U.S. stocks with Chinese exposure. It's designed to closely mirror the performance of China's CSI benchmark. Goldman Sachs has added the index to its digital platform, meaning it can sell clients' derivatives based on this basket of stocks. Investors have been increasingly focused on Chinese equities as of late, both because of how integrated they are in global indices and because of the outbreak of the coronavirus. Meanwhile, Samsung has come up with a plan to try to deal with the sweeping supply chain disruptions caused by the virus. The world's biggest smartphone maker launched its latest Galaxy phone last week, and it's begun flying electronic components for the phones from China to its factories in Vietnam. That's because, according to sources, the Vietnamese government's been restricting the volume of goods brought in by land from China. The coronavirus has left Vietnam's manufacturers vulnerable in areas such as textiles, footwear, and electronics, because many of these supply chains rely on China. Analysts have warned that because these smartphone companies source about 30 percent of phone components from China, they could face serious problems with supplies of things like cables, sockets, plugs, and camera components, items made in China. And now here's Mark Filipino with a story you should know more about. The Middle East has one of the youngest populations in the world, and it also has one of the highest rates of youth unemployment in the world. The rate is so high in the Middle East and North Africa that the World Bank said the region must create more than 300 million jobs by 2050 to fix the situation. Now, we've seen younger generations struggle with unemployment outside this area, too, think southern European countries after the financial crisis. But circumstances are different when it comes to countries such as Iran, Iraq, and Egypt. This has been going on for decades. That's the FT's Adrian Klasa. 
Adrian helped produce a piece that told the stories of the young people in these countries who are struggling and how they're coping. You have real structural problems in the economies of the Middle East. You also have a region that's largely been ruled by unresponsive governments that are riddled with corruption, that haven't necessarily held free and fair elections, and that have also failed to transform vast natural wealth, in the case of many such as Algeria, into inclusive growth that actually generates jobs and opportunities for people who aren't buddies with the elites that rule these countries. You know, you read all of these top-line economic figures, and this is what the FT reports on very well all the time. We really wanted to get to the point of what this meant on the ground. What does this feel like? What does your life look like from their perspective? And so, Adrian, for this story, reporters went out to these different countries, Algeria, Egypt, Iran. What kind of people did they talk to? These are across the board, I think, you know, hardworking, aspiring young people. Most of them have higher education degrees. Most of them are looking or have looked for work, have worked in many fields. And those who have jobs have really hustled to get them. We also have Ermia in Iran, who has a great job and is very proud of herself and is, you know, a, a woman with a master's degree there. And, and she's really anxious about losing her job because the economy has taken such a downward tilt following the reimposition of U.S. sanctions in 2018 under Donald Trump. One thing that comes up in the story is, you know, how these people considered leaving their home countries to maybe find a better future elsewhere. Uh, what did they say when the reporters asked them? I mean, I think it's a real mixed bag there, and it's a real dilemma for a lot of young people who are trying to navigate this, you know, very difficult situation. But some of them were considering migration as an option. So we had one young man from Algeria who was looking at migrating to Europe. We also have Islam from Egypt, who is a young man who has been working you know, five or six different jobs, really trying to make ends meet, really suffering. And he was talking about going to the Gulf region, where you can get jobs in restaurants, doing similar kinds of things to what he was doing at home in Cairo, but the pay is much better. So that would give him the opportunity to save some money, maybe send money back to his family. A lot of them are thinking of migration, but others really aren't. They were saying things like a lot of young people that I know are thinking about migration, want to go to Canada, I want to go to the U.S., want to go to Europe. But my family's here. My roots are here. How could I be happy elsewhere? I don't want to leave. I want to make my life here, despite the disappointments and the challenges. Now, the people who were interviewed, were they overall hopeful about the future? Mm, I think that's a tricky question. I think the mood is one of frustration. I mean, and you're seeing that erupt into the streets. You're seeing that in Tahrir Square in Baghdad. You're seeing that in Beirut, in Lebanon. People are dissatisfied. They're angry. They're frustrated. I think the fact that you still see people coming out and protesting and hustling for jobs and trying to make things meet and being creative about how they build their lives indicates a certain level of hope, because if you've, if you've given up hope, then you wouldn't be doing all of these things. But, you know, these are really challenging circumstances. And again, this is not a new problem, but one that is about to get far worse because of the demographic pressures and also climate change. The Middle East is going to be a region that is hugely impacted by climate change. 
And that is going to have an impact on resources, that's going to impact jobs, and that's going to impact fundamental things like agriculture. So these pressures are only going to increase. And these young people were aware of this in their own lives. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Culture Call, the Financial Times' transatlantic culture podcast, is back for season two. Join us, that's me, Griselda Murray-Brown, in London. And me, Lila Raptopoulos, in New York. We'll be getting together to interview the people breaking new ground in culture. We're also making sense of the trends shaping life in the 2020s. And we'll bring you behind the scenes of the FT's award-winning life and arts journalism. In our first episode, we chat to Marriage Story's Noah Bomback. So hit that subscribe button and let's discuss our way through the most exciting cultural moments of 2020 together. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.